0: Let's turn to 1 Samuel 25 again, please. If you missed last week, we're not really going to touch on it this morning. We're going to look at uh, the same sort of theme, but we're going to look at something different. And we'll see how the Lord leads us on this this morning. And can I again just say thank you to all from delivering leaflets through a door. There was almost 10,000 doors, I think, that were reached for the mission, and posters and everything, and those who came and supported and worked on it and helped in every large or small way, I just want to thank you, and we just give God the glory for what he's doing. It's good to see uh, some who came to the Lord at the mission here this morning. Let's welcome them this morning. You're very welcome. And we just give God the glory for what he's doing. 1 Samuel 25, we're just going to read again the first verse. I I could just go around this verse for weeks, but we'll just do this first verse, and then we'll see where the Lord leads us. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him, and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down, to the wilderness of Paran. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, again for the, the wonderful time spent in the mission. Lord, the edification of your people at it. The hearts that you've touched, and those who are still under conviction. We pray, Lord, that you would still have your way even, Lord, wherever they are. At this time. And that you would save them. Thank you for those Lord who came to faith. Lord at the mission. And for those who are here this morning. Will you bless them. Encourage them and help them. And lead them on with yourself. We pray Father also. For those who are away on holiday. That you would strengthen them. And for those who are just back Lord. You bless them for being here again. And for all of us Lord. Watching live. We pray, Father, for your word to find that place in our hearts. Speak to us, we ask it, and glorify your Son. For Jesus' name's sake, we pray. Amen. So it's the death of a judge and the rising of a king, part two. I don't really intend to do another one on this, um, but let's see where the Lord leads us this morning with it. And Samuel died. Samuel, the last judge in Israel. Prophet in Israel. Respected in Israel. And we looked at it last week. But the last judge had died. And all the Israelites had came to his house. We would call it here across Ireland. You'd call it a wake. Where you'd come and visit at the house. And the the family and friends would get together. But Israel came in conglomeration together. It must have been... Uh, It must have been some crowd around one house, wouldn't it? You Think about it. They came around the house. They buried him there. And it says, And David arose. Here's the rising of the king. We looked last week at how David was anointed of Samuel to be the king of Israel. Now Saul was man's choice, was king at this time. And Saul had turned against David. We are going to look at this this morning. And Saul really turned against him. Saul became jealous of him and hated him. And we'll look at it in a few moments. But the king would rise. You see, something new was about to take place. And something new was about to happen in Israel. And though that God would raise a David, that God would raise someone like he did, as we mentioned before, like those preachers who went whether loved or loathed him, even like the Reverend Ian Paisley or Willie Mullen, Sam Workman, Pastor McConnell and others. Raised up men at this time that really reached the souls and the, the very heart of Ulster at the time. I know that God would do it again and raise them up. A new beginning was happening. And something was about to take place. And that was that David would take the place of Saul as king. David would be the king in Israel, on the end of the line of the judges, the judges were those who were to hear from God, as it were, and administer civil uh, authority in Israel. But that was going to change, and the divine right of a king was coming from Judah. Notice here: uh, Samuel dies, and David arose. It says, and from this time, David is on the path to come to the palace. For example, when Samuel anointed David when he was a boy going to his father's Jesse's house and seven sons passed and David was in the field and we know the story, David is called in because Samuel says, not this and not this and not this until David came. And David was the eighth son of Jesse. And eight in biblical numerology uh, lends itself and means gives the idea of a new birth A new beginning, something new was going to happen. A new birth, a new beginning, or a new order. And hence David the eighth son, a new order was coming to Israel. He was anointed as a boy, yet not had moved into the promise. I want you to catch this, because in our lives it matters too. He had not yet moved in. He had to grow up. He had to mature. He had to learn. He had to go through circumstances and situations which would stand by him, that he would have the ability to be able to deal with things as a king. And hence, there's the growing, even in our own Christian walk, growing in in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, where even at certain times when we are in our Christian walk, God is molding us, making us, sometimes breaking us to remake us again. That we in our Christian lives are being fitted out for that which purpose he has for us. It happens in all areas of life and being in Christian service would be no different. You must be matured in the faith. You must be learnt as the things of not only in practical, but in scriptural, but in spiritual things. And there's some people just dive into things and they wonder why they just get wrecked after it because they can't cope with it and they can't deal with it. Let God work on you, brother. And let God work on you, sister. And let God take his time. You take your time and let God work in his time. And so eight is the the number that that means and represents a, a new order or a new beginning. And hence, David is the eighth son. He would be the new king, the right order. And things would change. And Israelite boys were circumcised on the eighth day. This would be a new order for the Israelite boy. On the eighth day. And I'll just give you the reference if you want to write it down. You can look it up in Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 3. You can read that. And then in the new covenant. Notice the new covenant. They were circumcised of the flesh on the eighth day. But in the new covenant, Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, you'll read in the new covenant, we are circumcised in the heart, spiritual circumcision of the heart. And so you'll see that's a, on the eighth day, it was a new beginning, a new life, a new covenant. Eight souls were saved in the ark, remember? Noah's three sons and their wives. So eight were saved on the ark, and there was to be a new order after that when the flood assuaged and the ark came down the land. So I'm just giving you these for an example. I'll give you one more. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus we know is on the first day. But the way it can count in the Hebrew is the seventh day the Lord rested after the sixth day. When we read of the sixth day creation, on the Lord rested on the seventh. And the next one, the eighth or the first day, they add on, was the resurrection. And hence we have the newness of life. The newness of life. And so eight is an important number. The number eight just keeps going as a newness of life. You're coming around again. And hence uh, the number represents new meaning, uh, means and represents new birth, new beginning, or a new order. The eighth son of Jesse is anointed. He is going to bring in a new order into Israel. And that new order would be the kingly line, uh, the Jehovah's throne. Actually, Solomon, it says, sat on the throne of Jehovah. So the throne of Jehovah was Solomon's throne, which was David's throne. And hence, not Saul on it, who was man's choice. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. David was from the tribe of Judah. And hence, Judah was to be that line. Pastor Glenn read around the table, Uh, uh, from the book of Micah about uh, Judah in Ephrathah and out of him the Lord Jesus, the bread of life, would come. It's strange to it this time of the year for we're now entering into uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelite Feast of Tabernacles, which would mean that God has tabernacled with men, but they took it from coming out of Egypt. They tabernacled in the wilderness. The tabernacle was in the middle of the nation, and the, the encampment was all around it. The tabernacle was in the middle of the nation. And God came down among into the middle of his people. God came in Bethlehem, Rapha, took on a body of flesh and tabernacled among us as the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we're told when he comes back again, God will tabernacle among men. So it's just strange that the pastor read that this morning. And there's the tabernacling of the flesh of the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man. Anyway, let's move on. So we're to, the, the leadership was to change, and it was now Samuel, and, and Saul didn't like this. Saul hated this. And we're going to look at how much he detested David. He loved David at one point, and then he detested David. And the thing is, our people can love something or someone so much and then whenever they feel the threatening, they can detest them with the same passion that they love them with. They actually, the, the, the idea of their hate can, uh, and their bitterness and their, uh, and their detesting can be measured in the same way which they actually said they love them with. I've known many people have told me, I, we love you, pastor. I love you, love you. Oh, dear, I love you, love you. And then all of a sudden, they hate you, hate you hate you, you know, with the same passion that they love me with. I hate you, I hate you. Yeah, and that's human nature. And I'm sure many of you have found that. That's just an example. They find that, and they learn that that, that passion is with them, that they hate you as much as they said that they loved you. Notice here, Saul will fight against this. He knows this is happening, going to come to pass. He hates David. But Samuel was different because Samuel knew that he would die and he was going to be, as it were, not threatened out David's life. He didn't say, well, I'm going to have to to extinguish David and get rid of David and make sure David doesn't become king because it means he could take over at any time. He'll take over the business as it was. He'll take over uh, from whatever it is. And I'm going to hate him for it. He says, no, I'm going to trust God in it, that God will raise him up. And if God is raising that man or woman up, then I'm going to walk in God's will. And I'm going to support God's work. And I'm going to trust God for what he's going to do. And so the heart of Samuel was like that toward David. And now Samuel has died. David could have turned on him. David could have turned on him, but he trusted God. And he ministered being, as we would call it, the bigger man, the bigger person. He ministered anyway. He anointed David because it was going to go from the judges, you are going to be finished, to kingship. To kingship. But Samuel still trusted God. Now Samuel has died and David has went to his house. I can't help thinking that David went because he could hardly believe what he heard. He could hardly believe what he heard. You see, there's people in our life and they come and they have a charisma or something about them and we look up to them. When my pastor passed away, I looked up to him and I loved him. I did. We were close. But he always pointed me to Christ, not to himself. But when he died, I, I found it difficult. Because that strength as Samuel was to David, that, that figurehead that led me to Christ and taught me in the ways of the Lord and the Scriptures, who, who taught me to love the Lord Jesus Christ, was gone. And you're, you, you feel like a, a, a ship without a rudder. And as I told you last week, some man came, a pastor, crying. He says, what do we do now? And he says, you get on with the work and press on on God. That's what you do. We have now stepped into the shoes of the next generation. That's what we do. And, and a loss like that because you look at them, you, you, you're, you're, they're a strength to you in some manner or way, in your life can be gone. And what do you do? What do I do now? Well, you're in this time and place now, And God will strengthen you to step into what you need to do that you can go on and not survive, but overcome. God doesn't want his people just surviving. He wants you overcoming. Overcoming. And so Samuel has passed. David has went. Maybe he thought, well, obviously he'd pay his respects, but... This man is gone. What, you know, wow, can't believe my ears. Now he sees for himself. And it seems as if he he runs again for a brief period of time because it's actually 20 years before he ends. From this point, it's actually just about here before it, it's about 20 years before he actually gets to the palace. Imagine that. It's a long time, isn't it, to wait on something? It's another 20 years before he ends up the king. But here's something I want us to look at this morning. The heart of Samuel and the heart of David. Or the heart of Saul compared to David. First of all, the man and the woman with the anointing. Now, the Lord anoints people for different things. He anoints people for business. There's people having a clue with business. And there's business people who who couldn't hold anything down. But yet there's someone who could maybe, uh, the Lord would anoint people with their hands. That's how they built the tabernacle. It says God anointed certain people to beat the goat. So th- there's an anointing even in working with your hands. Uh, we would call it a gift and a talent. Spiritually speaking, there's an anointing that comes on a man and a woman an ability to want and to desire to work in whatever ministry that would be. But then there's a spiritual anointing that God gives you. Whether it's for the preaching of the word. The teaching of the word. Or whatever it may be for. Or to see. To look. To behold. To understand the things. And to prophesy. To tell of it. Notice here. The man and the woman with the anointing can afford to be generous and not envious. I want to say it again, and if you're a blood washed, born again believer, then you will understand that a heart of envy, not over, uh, to be envious is not generous. And stay with me. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 14 and verse 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. But envy is the rottenness of the bones. And we know that it's now known sort of facts, although God's told us 2000, 3,000 years ago, more, that if we have things like envy, different we're always angry. Guess what? You ever wonder why there's all these diseases and illnesses too? Yes, because of what we're putting in our body, 100%. Because of what we eat, 100%. Because what's put into the food, 100%. But here's another one. It's because of our attitude in life. We know for a fact that stress can make you ill. We know that anger can give you different sorts of ailments. And envy and all of those, call it the green-eyed monster, all those sort of things can make you sick. Make you feel weak and tired and feeble. All of them can. The Bible says that a sound heart is the life of the flesh. A heart in love with Christ. A heart that's willing to yield. A heart that's willing to give. A heart that's willing to serve. A heart that's willing to do. All of those things brings life to the flesh. See, my great-grandfather, I never met him. He died in 1960. But my my dad, it was his grandfather, my dad told me that uh, he should have, the doctors told him he should have been dead many years before because his body was falling to bits, his bones were rotten, so porous they didn't even know how he was standing up. And in their terms, they said, He must have had a great fighting spirit to keep alive. Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If you and I have that heart, have that where we're not always in the negative. We're not always, I can't. We're not always... I'm not talking about the power of positive speech here. I'm talking about knowing who we are in Christ. I'm talking about knowing who Christ is in us and for us. Then surely you and I should live more overcoming, victorious and healthy lives. Because then we'll realize this morning, if I envy that brother or that sister, and I trust you don't, I hope you don't, but I envy them. There are certain people not so long ago, and they were getting on my goat. Now, they're not from here, okay? (laughs) They are not from here. But they were getting on my nerves and it was constant. And it was like this. I started going like and I started feeling sick and ill and tired. Couldn't sleep. Always at me. Always at me. Just oh, they were it was terrible. And I had to get to the point and realize with the like of this scripture. It wasn't envy, but it was annoyance. It was allowing it to happen. And I said, Lord, I'm leaving this with you. And here's what I've prayed. Lord, will you bless them so much that I haven't got enough room in their lives for the blessing? They hate me. Bless them, Lord, and I don't want to hate somebody else. And you know what? It all left me. It left me. And all of those symptoms left me too. And maybe that's the word in season for all of us this morning, but maybe especially for someone this morning. Even in the world, turn with me to Psalm seventy three. Psalm seventy three. And look if you mark this and read it all when you go home, I think it would do you good. When we look at the world and look, they all seem to be overcoming and doing great and all this. Listen, they, they have a death time end if they don't get right with God. Verse 1 of Psalm 73, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such are as of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well now slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. How is it that uh, how is it the Joneses across the road have all of that? How is it uh, how is it they're doing better than we're doing? And how is it that person there can afford this, that, and the other more than I can? And you know, all of these things. Believer, this should not be the case. This should not be the case. The Christian's identity is in Jesus. Our wealth is in the kingdom of God. That's why I don't be a prosperity preacher. I prosperous in the Lord. Listen, I live in a rented house and drive a 10-year-old car. And I'm as happy as a pig in muck. Yeah. Because man's life does not consist of the abundance of things which he possesses. But my life consists in the Lord. I told you something there. I shouldn't have told you that. (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't... I don't think like this. People say, oh, when I got saved, I left all of this, and I left this great job to do this. Listen, you left nothing. He owns everything. He owns it all. It's all his. When you let your eye run down, Psalm 73... Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, they increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long have I, plagued and chastened every mo- have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. What, I can't even go into work and mention the name of Jesus. They hate me because I'm a Christian. They hit me because I believe in the Lord. Even my family have turned against me. Listen, when I got saved, my family thought I was a crackpot. Oh, you're not one of them now, are you? Yet my family then started getting saved one by one. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, when I look around, I can't, even, I can't even talk about you. And they're prospering. And look at me. Look at my heart. And the psalmist was richer than all of them. Notice what he says here. Verse 15. If I say I will speak lust, behold, my, I should offend against the, ch- the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Do you know what? This life as a Christian can be hard because people are so much against us now. And we're living in these last of the last of the very, very last days. You know? and, and I saw, listen, we're living in the most blessed days. Because we're living on the cusp of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some may go with the undertaker and others may be here for the upper taker. But whatever way it is, we're still his. And our inheritance doesn't change. And then David says in verse 16, until, would you say until? Until. Would you say it again loud? Until. Until. I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood either end. until you come and you hear the word of God. Listen, that's why you need to meet. That's why you should be out midweek to strengthen you during the week. That's why when the house of God is open, you should be coming. You should be. And by the way, your attendance for that three-day mission was absolutely fantastic. You're always great attenders, and I really appreciate it. But it's, it's something that you sit at home in stupor. Somebody's annoyed you. Maybe somebody on work or you felt that. Uh, you get that lazy fit. Who doesn't? Come well, on, fight the flesh and let the Spirit win. He says, until I went into the sanctuary, then I understood, wow, Lord, this is your presence. This is where it is. This is where the riches are. This is where your word is. This is where we worship. This is where your spirit meets us as a body of people. This is where we're like, with like-minded people who, who need to love the Lord, who need to know the Lord, who need to hear of the Lord, who need the Word of God. Until I went into the sanctuary. How many times, brothers and sisters, have you been? In fact, some people said it to me at the mission. One in particular who came to the Lord at the mission says they come home on Friday and they're too tired to come out. Oh, I got home and I'm too tired. But the other one said, and "I just don't want to mention names." But the other one says, "Come on, we're going." I'm sure one gets saved and the other one returned to the Lord that night. Christ in the world and its riches and all those things. Like we need, we need to live. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not daft. It's nice to have nice things. It's nice to do well in life, and please do if you can. But remember the Lord. Your identity, your welfare is in him. Whether that's house, job, car, family, clothes on your back, food in your cupboards. Do you ever pray that God? I pray that every day. Lord, this morning, got up this morning, got my shower as usual, had a shave and got dressed and went in and made a wee bit of breakfast and put the kettle on and sat with a cup of tea. And before I had anything, I'd opened the word of God and I just said, Lord, thank you that I'm here this morning the living to praise you. Thank you, Lord, that I'm here and you're with me. Thank you for my health and my strength for my wife and my children. Thank you for this roof over my head. I'm warm and I'm dry. I'm not saying, Lord, oh, Lord, I need, I need a couple hundred thousand to get a good house of my own. <laughs> Please, Lord. I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm healthy and well. I'm warm and I'm dry. I've got I'd hot water even in the tank. It didn't have to go to a pump outside somewhere. Not like I used to grow up. Well, it wasn't a pump, wasn't it? But it was cold water. Every day. It's what he gives us. And yet, that's not the generous side. It's we have what? We have salvation. We are saved. We are Christ. There's nothing else will compare to that. And so... A sound health heart is the life of the flesh. And if you're continually stressed, continually envious, listen, if you have bitterness in your heart or hate in your heart, and I understand many of us can be hurt and it wears us down. Listen, it is a rottenness to your bones. You know, it weakens your immune system. It's a known fact. But the heart of Saul was envious toward David, but the heart of Samuel was generous toward David. Puritan Henry Smith wrote this, Envy is sin, and it punisheth itself like gluttony. Think about this. For it fretteth the heart, shorteneth the life, and eateth the flesh. Saul's heart and mind turned him into an envious, ungodly, green-eyed monster toward David's elect. Pardon me, God's elect, David. 1 Samuel 19, and we'll just read a couple of verses. 1 Samuel 19, verses 9 and 10. Notice the picture here. David is with Saul before it all goes bad. David doesn't realize how bad it is, but Saul's heart is truly envious of David. 1 Samuel 19, verses 9 and 10. Notice, and the evil spirit from the Lord. What about that? You ever thought of that? From the Lord. 1 Samuel 19, verse 9. And the evil spirit from the Lord. Was upon Saul. You know what this shows me? God is sovereign and he will do as he wills. And people will try and dance around these things. Oh, no, but it really wasn't from God. Listen, the Lord says, okay, Saul, I'm going to teach you a lesson. God's sovereign. He'll do what he wants. He does as he pleases. When he pleases. Where he pleases. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. As he sat in his house. With his javelin in his hand. And David played with his. David's on his harp trying to help Saul. Playing, probably singing unto the Lord. The great psalmist. Imagine I'd love to hear that, would you know? The actual psalmist singing and playing unto the Lord. I wonder what that was. The prophetic word of God on it. Can you imagine whatever tune? I know we've people sing psalms a day and they, they have tunes to it, but I'm talking about the real tune. In the Hebrew vernacular and tongue, you know, singing unto the Lord. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You know, and leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores I wonder what the tune was like. And David's playing this. And this old envious spirit, the Lord says, okay, evil spirit, off you go. If that's what he wants and that's the way you want to live, let it go. And this spirit is making Saul worse. Saul has a javelin in his hand. See how David's falling? Mm-hmm. You ever get like that? I won't ask you to put up your hands because I don't want to make a liar out of a whole audience you either. Because <laughs> there will be some who will put their hand up. You ever get like, I do. <clears throat> you know, the green eyed monster and he comes, you repent. <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. You deal with this person. And see, when God deals with them, and they, he just goes, go ahead, deal with him. Go deal with her. He's got the javelin in his hands. Fat David boy. You see, when they're coming back from battle, it says that they were singing. All the women were coming out with their e-tambarines and their timbrels. They're dancing before them going, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul's going, what? What? Hmm. Going mad at him. Now he's got his javelin in his hand. Verse 10 And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall that David fled and escaped that night. Here's what I wrote. Saul was in a raging, envious stupor. But what force must it have taken to drive a javelin into a wall? Think of the force of that. Ugh. Fired at him, driving under the wall. So I wrote then, I thought about this as I was writing this, and I just thought, I get these thoughts and I jot them down. And I wrote, the melodious strains of the harp had lost its power to soothe Saul's spirit. comes a time when even the worship that you listen to won't soothe your heart. comes a time when the words of encouragement that you had will have no effect on you. There comes a time even if David was playing his harp and singing in prophetic utterance before you. It would mean nothing but aggravate you. And there's people who have fallen away from God and they they have to prove themselves why they have walked away. Not that they have fell out of love with the Lord. Oh, no, no, they can't say that. They don't even want to admit that they've fallen away from God, but their heart has went so hard and embittered and calloused that they have to turn and say to you, I hate that gospel. hate that ma. I hate that music that I used to sing. Oh, I, I just denounce it, and I hear it, and I want nothing to do with it. And, and I'm sure you've come across people like this. They have to prove a point of how opposite they are to everything you are in serving the Lord. The melodious strains of the harp had lost as part of soothe Saul's spirit. Because in God's providence, an evil spirit upon Saul was sent. And listen, an evading ability was given to David by the anointing. Maybe you've found yourself in such circumstances, life, home, work or whatever. Listen, the Apostle Paul tells us that God will always enable you, help you, strengthen you and will make a way from you. You just have to trust him. And stay focused and he will bring you through. For example, the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Now there's no temptation taken you, but that such as is common to man. Listen, but God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way that you may also be able to escape David escaped the envious heart of Saul. David could say in certain places, on the, in the anointing of God in 2 Samuel 22, For by thee have I run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. The anointing came on David, and when he's fighting, he's hacking his way through a troop, and right over the top of a wall. He says, God enabled me to do that. See, you and I would say, boy, isn't he just very athletic? No. God gives talents and gifts and abilities. Whether it's for work, warfare, or whether it's in the spiritual realm. And God enables people. But what are we doing with that anointing? What are you doing? I must get this closed here. I have too much material. Secondly and briefly, the man and woman with the Spirit of God will understand the moving of God. They will understand the moment they're in with God. And they will understand the magnitude of the discernment from God. From God. Obviously, it says in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 19, David slipped out of Saul's presence. He understood all of it. The Spirit of God and the anointing on him as he played and he sang enabled him to to realize the heart that's in this man. And he slipped out. And he evaded a hard-flung javelin. His life was saved. So I've written, The man and woman in tune with God, who are close to God, will be aware of an ungodly atmosphere. And they will sense everything that comes with it and why they should not be there. If you have God's Spirit in you, you have a measure of the anointing. And maybe you put yourself in places and you go to places and you realize, I shouldn't be here. I was only say, a few weeks and there was a dry pub opened up in Belfast, in the Donegal Pass. And it, was a, it, it sold non-alcoholic beer. And this new Christian, myself walked in with another fella, and I said, I can have a non-alcoholic beer, because then I'm not drinking. And the man came and he poured me a pint of uh, non-alcoholic beer. And I went to lift it like that. The Spirit of God, as a new Christian, Spirit of God said to me, don't touch it. You're in the wrong place. That's not what you're called for. I spun around and never touched it and I walked out the door. When you're in the wrong mindset, the mood set, and whatever you're in, whatever way your heart is, the Holy Spirit will tell you, you're wrong. Anger and envy and bitterness and hatred and hurting, you're wrong. Gossip and backbiting, you're wrong. And if he doesn't say that, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I'll close this here. I don't know where to close it, but I'll close it. So Samuel is dead, and David arose. And Samuel who served from a young boy, who had a godly lifestyle, lived a godly example, was a prophet and a judge, who was dedicated to God's people and feared and revered, the feared and revered prophet of Israel is now passed away and a king and David would rise sometimes we need to see the finality of one chapter and a door closes before God brings you into the process of the next chapter and the next place where he's bringing you. So here's what I've written to finish with this. Brothers and sisters, God may test your patience before he fulfills the promise. God may test your patience before he fulfills the promise. God will prove your faithfulness before he approves your promotion. Thomas Watson said, the Lord has more truth yet to break forth out of his holy word. I was a bit different this morning. And sometimes I just want to go deeper into the series of an anointing. But I'll maybe some other time speak more on the spiritual realms of things. Every one of us, whether it's worship or the Word, every one of us who has the Spirit of God in them should be aware Consciously aware of the presence of God. I'll talk sometime about the gift of the Spirit, the anointing. Here's the thing. There's people even whenever the Spirit moves in tongues interpretation, there's people and they're maybe standing worshipping and the tongue would come forward and <laughs> they all sit down and the chairs are moved and listen, you should be standing before the presence of God. If we're standing, then if we're seated, we sit in the presence of God. Because God will say something. There's a lot more in this. And we'll talk about it maybe some other time. Tim, is to come up, please. God.